chapter 16 beginning with verse number one the Lord said to Samuel how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel fill your horn with oil and go I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons and Samuel said how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, we've been here before. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made, made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, sin and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Lord, I love when the Bible talks about me. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. <laughs> Y'all silly. Come back, come back, come back. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good present, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he, is, he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit departed from him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week, we studied Saul's disobedience to the Lord. If you remember, Saul was told by the Lord to go to Amalek and completely wipe them out. The women, the men, the children, the infants, the animals, nothing was to be left. However, Saul did the exact opposite. He allowed the king of the Amalekites, Agag, to live only with the best of the oxen and sheep. The Lord knew of Saul's rebellion and disobedience. So the Lord told him that as, as of that day, the Lord had torn the kingdom from Saul. Because of Saul's rebellion, he lost his kingdom. Saul's dethronement has been announced. We now have a new problem. Who will be Israel's new king? And our passage tells us that there will indeed be a new king. This time it will be the one God chooses for himself. That's what the theme of this whole passage is about, is the Lord's choice for his king. But before we get to the actual choice, of who will be king, the text actually deals with who is not God's choice. The passage first deals with who God rejects from being in his service. 
So let's look first at God's rejected servant leader. God's rejected servant leader. You're going to hear me and see in my outline refer to the, the position of king as a servant leadership position. Though Saul and David will be king, they are still servants of the almighty king. And so this passage is not just about David being chosen to be king, but it speaks to us as how, how all of us can be in service to our king. So who is it that God rejects from being in service to him? First of all, we see in our text that God rejects those who rebel and reject the Lord's authority. God rejects those who rebel and reject the Lord's authority. Our passage today opens with a sorrowful Samuel. The Lord asked Samuel in chapter 16, verse 1, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? We begin with the rejection of Saul. Why has God rejected Saul? Pastor Dominic told us and read to us last week, look at, uh, if we go back to chapter 15, Verse number 23, this is God's word to Saul. Yo, because for your rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as of iniquity and idolatry, here it is, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul deliberately and intentionally rebelled against God's authority. He refused to put himself under the authority of God's word. And so now, because he has rejected God's authority, God is now rejecting him from continuing as king. Saul is the first type of person God rejects for, for service in his kingdom. He rejects those who reject his authority. Today, beloved, this verse forces us to examine our own attitudes and actions and ask ourselves, are we putting ourselves under the authority of God's word? Are we putting ourselves in authority of God's word or do we lean to our own understanding? If it makes sense to me, if it makes sense to the culture, do we put ourselves under that authority or are we submitting ourselves to God's authority even when we don't understand it, even when we don't agree with it? Still, God's word is so authoritative that we say he said it. And here's what I know about God, that if he said it, then it must be the best and for our good. Beloved, rejection of the Lord's authority as revealed in his word is destructive. That's what happens to Saul. He loses the kingdom 
because he refused to put himself under the authority of God's word. What we need to learn from last week's passage is that to obey is better than sacrifice. Beloved, obedience to all of Christ's commands is the goal of our discipleship. That's why he who has all authority said, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Why is obedience so important? Because obedience is how we express our loyal love to our sovereign king. We obey to demonstrate our love for the Lord. We obey to demonstrate our loyalty to the Lord. We obey to, to, to prove that we are submitting to our king. And so the question for us this morning is, are we putting ourselves under the authority of God's word or under our own authority? Beloved, God will not use those who continually reject his authority. That's the first type of person that God rejects from service in his kingdom. But there is a second type of person in our passage that God rejects from serving in his kingdom. And that, that, that type of person is the one who is only outwardly impressive. Let me show it to you. The Lord sends Samuel on a mission to Bethlehem because there, according to verse 1, the Lord has provided for himself a king. This king will be one of the sons of Jesse. Once Jesse and his sons come before Samuel, the first son of Jesse he sees is Eliab, who is the oldest son of of Jesse, the firstborn. And after taking one look at Eliab, Samuel says, this has to be the one. The Lord stops Samuel in his tracks and tells him in verse 7, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Who does the Lord reject here? Those who are only outwardly impressive. This, this is how Israel chose their first king. They looked at Saul and say, he's tall, he's handsome. That's the one. They had no concern for his character. Beloved, God rejects those for his kingdom service, those who are only outwardly impressive. And the indictment on the church is that all too often we choose for leaders those the Lord would reject. We look at talent, skills, abilities, charisma, and experience, but stop there. And God rejects clearly those who are only outwardly impressive. I got another question. This is, this is for free. Is what attracts you to people only skin deep? 
Are you only outwardly impressive? You've got the education, you've got the credentials, you've got the network, you've got the know-how, but is there anything more to you than what is outwardly impressive? God says, I'm not choosing based on outward appearances alone. How then will God make his choice? The passage moves from those God rejects to those to the one God actually chooses. We know he is going to who he's going to choose, but why does God choose the one he chooses? Let's look secondly at God's chosen servant leader. The first attribute of God's chosen servant leader is that God sees him. Hold on, I'm coming. God sees him. God says, I'm not choosing based on outward appearances alone. I don't see like you see, says the Lord. This word see is repeated several times in this whole chapter. Even when we go back to verse one, the Lord says, I have provided for myself a king. When you read that in his original language, it literally says, I have seen for myself a king. Here in verse seven, that word see is translated as look, see, and appearance. God is clearly doing something with this much repetition of this word see. And what God wants us to see is that he has a different perspective than we have. God has a different point of view than we have. He has the ability to see in the heart of a person. this, This is both a blessing and scary. God sees who we really are. God is able to see and judge the inner motives and intentions of a person. And my question for us before we move forward is, if God were to look into your heart this morning, what would it reveal? Help me, Holy Ghost. Would it reveal a heart of rebellion and rejection? Would it reveal a heart of bitterness and resentment? What will it reveal this morning? And I'm just convinced since God clearly wants us to know that he sees differently than what, how we see, he looks for things that we don't look for. And I think one of the takeaways from this morning is that we need to seek God's guidance when choosing leaders. Two realms that I'm going to help us with this morning and we'll move forward. One, we need to seek God's guidance for the leaders we choose in our church. Let let, let me just bring this home to the British church. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dominic presented us with individuals chosen to serve as deacons here in the British church. God, thank you for deacons. My question for us as a church, we presented them to you to give you a 21-day window to let us know if there's anything that we should know that would make this person disqualified for service. Have you sought God's wisdom on this matter? 
Or are you relying simply on these individuals' outward credentials? Okay, all right, let me talk about our state and nation. This is where y'all really gonna be mad at me. We've got an election coming up. Since God sees differently than we see, have you sought God's wisdom for direction on how you should vote in November? Or are you saying, God, I don't need your wisdom. I'm going to choose based solely, solely on my political affiliation. Because, as you know, it, we now live in the age of where the Republican Party is God's party, right? Newsflash, it's not. Double newsflash, neither is the Democratic Party. Have we, if God sees differently than we see, then we ought to be saying, God, give me your vision for who will lead our nation, who will lead our state. Because God, I know none of them are rightly, wholly aligned with your will and your word. So God, I need you to tell me who is the man or woman you want for this season. Oh, y'all ain't coming back next week. God sees differently than we see, so we need to see God. Let me see. Let me see. This is how y'all like it. Be that my vision. That's what we need to be asking God. To God, give me your eyes. Help me to see like you see. And the problem that we have in the church is that our worldview is based on what we see rather than what God sees. When it comes to every issue in this world, we start, we go from, Lord, this is how I see it. Well, the way I see it, who cares? How does God see it, church? Amen. You see with sin-stained eyes. You can't see clearly. You need one who has pure eyes, so pure that he can't even look upon evil, says his word. And so God says, Samuel, I see differently than you see. So let, let, let's look for something differently. So God will choose the one that he sees into the heart of the individual. But he also chooses the one who's not just outwardly impressive, but inwardly impressive as well. What specifically does God see? God says, I look on the heart of a person. God is looking for servant leaders who are inwardly impressive to him. Beloved, God's choice of the one, what did I write here? God's chosen one, God's choice of the one who has the right heart teaches us that's what, that what's happening inside of us is more important than what's happening outside of us. What really counts in a person has more to do with their heart than with the eye. 
And so today, one of the takeaways from this sermon for us is that we need to devote more attention to what's happening in our heart rather than just simply external conformity. See, we pay a lot of attention to external conformity. I have my quiet time. I read my scriptures. I pray. I come to church. I go to small group. I do all the things. I check the boxes, Lord. But what's happening inside of us? Is it because I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, and soul? Is it because this God who has revealed himself wants to know us and wants us to know him? Is, do, do I approach all these things because I want to know the Lord, serve the Lord? Or is it just, I just want to conform to what a good Christian is supposed to be? Beloved, we, we, we need some heart checkups this morning. Let me give you Three ways we can do some heart checks this morning. First, we can check the state of our heart by examining what we say with our mouths. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 18, Jesus himself said, it is what comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So what is coming, what comes up comes out. What's coming out? Is it truth based on God's word or is it slander, gossip? We need to check. We can do hard checks by seeing what's in our mouth, but we can also check the state of our heart by what we do with our money. I should have thought about this before. I done talked about politics. Now I'm talking about money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is all Jesus anyways, thank you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a few verses later, Jesus says, you cannot love both God and money. We can check the state of our heart based on how we respond to sin. And I'm copying, uh, biting off Pastor Dominic from last week. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm number 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Does your sin break your heart? Does your personal sin break your heart? Does it lead you to a place of contrition? Does corporate sin, even in the church, does it break your heart? These are three ways we can do some heart checkups this morning. We need to cultivate hearts, beloved, that are aligned with God's heart. So, Let's finish the story, and then we'll get out of here. Seven of the sons of Jesse come before Samuel, and all of them are not chosen, the text says. This is not the one. All of them are rejected by God. And Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen these. Is this it? Jesse says, there remains the youngest, but he's just keeping the sheep. 
Samuel says, go and get him. David is brought in, and Samuel sees David, who is ruddy, red-skinned, and has beautiful eyes, and was handsome. At the end of verse 12, the Lord says to Samuel, that's the one. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. God is doing a new thing. It's number eight, remember? The number of new beginnings. God is doing something new in that David is now going to be God's anointed. Watch this. The one that God chooses is not the oldest, but the youngest. God's chosen man is not CEO quality, but a lowly shepherd boy. Beloved, David is proof that God sees beyond our limitations. The good news for all of us this morning is that our limitations don't disqualify us from being in service to the king. God sees and uses the unlikely, the unimpressive, the ungifted, the uneducated. That's who God sees and who God uses. That's God's chosen servant. That's the anointed one. For God says, I've called you. I've anointed you, but you need something else because you're about to face some, a giant next week. And so you're going to need some power outside of yourself to defeat this giant. And so what does the Lord do? Let's look at this third one and we'll go home. We see, after we see God's rejected leader, God's uh, chosen servant leader, now we see God's empowered servant leader. Look, 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 verse 13 says, after David is anointed, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon David from that day forward. Who God chooses, God empowers to fulfill his task. Whom God calls, God equips. David will accomplish all that God wants him to do, not because he's so gifted, not because he's so mighty, not because he's so powerful, but because he has the spirit of God in him. David will do all that the Lord wants him to do because the Lord is with him. Beloved, in order to be in service to the king, you don't need the right tools, the knowledge, the credentials, the experience. What you need is the Lord himself. And when you have the Lord, he will guide you, empower you, enable you, and equip you to do all that he has called you to do. So Lord, the spirit rushes upon David. The spirit rushes upon his anointed one. 
we see not only the empowerment of the Spirit in this text, but we also see the effectiveness of the Spirit in the text too. The Spirit rushes upon David, then verse 14 comes, but the Spirit departed Saul. We got a new problem. The Spirit has departed Saul, and but there's another Spirit that comes on Saul a harmful spirit, watch this, from the Lord. The fact that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, departs Saul is evidence of God's rejection of him as king. This harmful spirit from the Lord torments him. Two things I know y'all are wanting me to answer. What's this harmful spirit What's the nature of this harmful spirit? And did it really come from the Lord? This harmful spirit cannot be a demonic spirit. It came from the Lord. God does not tempt or test anybody. So it's not a demonic spirit, but it is a supernatural agent of God acting on God's behalf at God's direction to judge Saul for his rejection and rebellion. It is an angel of judgment sent upon Saul to torment him for his disobedience. But yet we still have to wrestle with the fact that God sends something harmful to God's king. Is this really the kind of God we serve that would send something that would harm us and torment us? Y'all know I like God's word. And so since the word says it, the clear answer from the text is yes, he'll do it. Here, 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 let me help you. Beloved, what this passage is here, what this language of from the Lord is, is here is to remind us that the God we serve is a sovereign God. God is sovereign is in that he does as he pleases. He does as he wills. He is sovereign in that he is the primary and ultimate cause of all things. We, we, we will receive the good things from the Lord, but anything that's not good, we start giving Satan glory. But the Jews didn't see it like that. If it happened, it had to be from the Lord. This idea of God's uh, sovereignty is not new to 1 Samuel. If we back up and go to chapter 2, we see in Hannah's song, after she's been given a child, after being barren for so long, she sings in her song and she speaks of God's sovereignty in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Look with me. This is what she says about the Lord. She says, the Lord, watch this, kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol, the place of the dead, and raises up. Watch this. 
The Lord makes, ooh, this is hard, makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. What the Jews understand and what we need to understand is that there is absolutely nothing beyond God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. Do we not see this in the life of Job? God's sovereignty at work? The Lord gives, watch this, and the Lord takes away. What's my resolve? Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is sovereign in the ultimate cause of all things. Now, now, the Jews believe in ultimate causes and didn't pay any mind to secondary causes. But we know that secondary causes matter and are real and have consequences. What's the immediate secondary cause of this spirit coming up on Saul? Saul. Saul is the secondary cause of this harmful spirit coming upon him. It is, what was the cause? His disobedience. So what we see at play here is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Saul is still responsible for his actions. He re rebelled and rejected God's authority and the sovereign God determined that because of that, he would be under God's judgment. Saul's the immediate cause, but God is the ultimate, ultimate cause. Nothing happens in the world without God's decree or God's permission. And so maybe what some of us need as we wrestle with this is we need a bigger view of God. Maybe our God is too small. If he's not sovereign to judge sinners, Let's get out of here. Saul's servants tell him. By the way, what we see even in this harmful spirit coming up on Saul, what we can still say about God is he's still good, he's still faithful, and he's still just. God did not contradict himself in any way when he did what he did to Saul. Saul's servants tell him that, 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 that he is being tormented by a spirit, so he needs to find someone to play some music to soothe him and relieve him of this spirit. One of his servants says to Saul, hey, king, I know a guy. Verse 18, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and crucial, the Lord is with him. So Saul calls David to his service. David enters Saul's service, plays the music. The text says, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from Saul. Beloved, where did the harmful spirit come from? The Lord. Do you think a man in his own power could cause a harmful spirit to leave if this is the Lord's doing? 
So there must be something outside of David that is causing him to be this effective that a harmful spirit would run away when the spirit-empowered chosen servant shows up. When the person with the spirit shows up and starts doing God's work, every demon has to flee. And so what happens is, it is because David is working in, in the power of the spirit that the, the harmful spirit leaves. God's spirit is effective. What God sends the spirit to do, the spirit will accomplish. That's why you save today. You saved because the Lord sent his spirit upon you and convicted you of your sin and your sinfulness and the spirit can let, uh, help you to realize that you need a savior and so the spirit helped you to say, uh, cry out, how can I be saved? And the spirit sent a messenger to say, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And watch this, the spirit didn't just stop there. The spirit gave the faith for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't do that on your own. God sent his spirit and because because the spirit is effective, that's why you're saved today. Some of us need to realize how effective the spirit is. I was just sharing with my wife on last night about how close I came to losing my mind. The only reason I ain't lost my mind leading y'all and being me is because the Holy Spirit. Woo! Thank you for the spirit. The reason some of y'all ain't in jail right now, so the reason some of y'all ain't done the stunts that you really wanted to do, the reason you ain't in jail because you knocked somebody out, cut somebody out, is because the Holy Spirit was restraining you. I wouldn't want to know me without the Spirit. Thanks be to God for His Spirit who rests, rules, and abides on those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, this helps us today to know that the Spirit ain't just for running around a building and shouting all this stuff. That ain't how you know somebody got the Spirit. Do they have joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, faithfulness? That's how you know somebody has the Spirit. I'm a little perturbed by this because people think we ain't got the spirit here at the bridge church because we ain't shouting every moment of every minute at the bridge. Listen, the way I see people with the spirit because they love people that don't look like them, talk like them, think like them, vote like them. That's spirit-filled people. Now, don't get me wrong. The spirit may make you run because he'll do it. And sometimes what the Spirit does is he'll cause you to think about something because the old church will say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. And see what just happened? Somebody just had a thought. He saved me. Somebody had a thought. He healed me. Somebody had a thought. He kept me. Somebody had a thought. He provided for me. Somebody had a thought. Said, hey, I'll clap my hands, I'll raise my hands, I'll lift my voice. I gotta get to Jesus. They didn't want 
want David. They wouldn't have expected David because David was the youngest. He was a shepherd boy. But God uses the unseen because he, can, he sees them even in the fields. God sees them. There was another who was an unexpected savior. There was another who was an unexpected king. He was unexpected because he was born in Bethlehem in a stable full of animals. The, the text says in Isaiah 52, 3, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and there's that word rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But yet God said, that's my son. <laughs> that's my anointed one. By the way, the anointed one is Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, and the one that God chose that we would not have expected. Here's what he did for us. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that's brought us peace. That's whom God chooses, the one nobody expects, because you know what God wants at the end of the day? He wants all the glory at the end of this day. Saul was too tall and handsome for God to get all the glory. The people saw, that's what they saw. What they needed was somebody who was ruddy, and, and he, he was a shepherd boy, so they could see there was nobody but the Lord. Come on, worship team. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We need to see as God sees. We need God to open our eyes so that we can see as he sees. We need his sight, his perspective, his point of view. We need to see as God sees. But we need to set our heart on having a heart that is pleasing to God. But finally, church, God calls us to serve him in his kingdom. And he empowers us to carry out our service. You are in the kingdom of God. How are you serving your king? That's the question. And God wants you to serve him based on how he has gifted you through his spirit. We call those spiritual gifts. And every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Isn't God such a generous God that when, when he comes to impart, to indwell us, he comes bearing gifts. And that the purpose of that gift, according to scripture, is to build up the body of Christ. You have been chosen by God. You have been called into the service of your high king. And you have a responsibility, a duty to serve 
our King. And so, so let's not take serving lightly. That's what we've been called to do. That's what we've been empowered to do. And so after we do our heart check, our heart ought to lead to action, to movement. We need to ask ourselves, am I a faithful servant of the king who has chosen me to be in his service? You got the spirit. You got the power. Are you using it? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hearts have felt. God, open our eyes that we would see like you see. Examine our hearts, God. God, if there's anything in there that shouldn't be, take it out, God. God give us a heart that's aligned with your heart a heart to do your will, a heart to obey your word, a heart to love you with all our heart, mind, and soul, a heart to love our neighbors as ourselves, a heart that hates sin, and a heart that grieves over our sin. But then, God, we need you to convict us of our complacency, because we've become complacent. We're just doing the bare minimum and not serving faithfully in your kingdom. And so God, my heart as a pastor is that 100% of the people who are members and regular attendants of the bridge would serve in some capacity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. No matter, no matter where you're from, who you are, what you've done, what your gifts, talents, skills, or abilities are, your king, he knows you by name. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. That's how intimately he knows you. That's how you know you're chosen, because he knows you by name. Let's sing to our God and our King.